Good morning, church. <clears throat> Mary Dell, I want to say that was a beautiful communion meditation. And I like to also say, because of Jesus, I'm a peace officer. <laughs> peace officer. <clears throat> That's a struggle, by the way. The scripture reading is from Matthew 1, 18 to 23. For Jesus, the anointed king, the birth happened in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be pregnant from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, since he was upright, did not wish to make her a public example, decided to end their betrothed privately. But while he was still thinking about these things, Look, an angel of the Lord appeared to him by a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to receive Mary as your wife, for what has been begotten in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you shall call him named Jesus, for he himself will save his people from their sins. This whole event happened in order that what was said by the Lord through the prophet may be brought to fulfillment when he says, Look, the virgin will come pregnant and will give birth to a son, and they will call him his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Thank you. I just want to thank all of you for your, your presence this morning. Had a wonderful time in worship uh, already, and uh, I go with uh, Gonzo and what he said about Mary Dell's uh, leading us uh, in in our uh, meditation for the Lord's Supper. It was uh, just wonderful. It's just so many things that uh, that this time of year helps to flow together for us. If you have not already um, gotten one, I hope that you'll raise your hand so that someone can bring you a copy of the notes for our, the message this morning uh, that has the, the reading that you just heard uh, Gonzo read for us from Matthew 1, 18 through 23, and then some other passages of scriptures and some notes that I'm going to be uh, following uh, uh, this morning as we uh, go. Uh, and I, again, I just want to add to, or not add, but just emphasize the words that Emily said about uh, yesterday. Uh, it, was, it, it, it was chaotic in the best sort of way, uh, in the sense of so many people being here, so many volunteers uh, being here and helping uh, with the uh, distribution, both of food in the morning and, and uh, the beginning of the afternoon, uh, for the community of hope, and then the the uh, the free um, uh, store uh, down in the in the chapel. It was a time when when the the our guests uh, uh, from uh, people who are homeless and marginal or uh, migrants and all of those uh, came came in for the for the first time fully uh, into uh, the fourth floor for for lunch. And uh, were served by volunteers with uh, children taking their menu selection, so to speak, and, and uh, then being served there in, on the fourth floor. And then in the basement, we had the, the, um, the, the free store. I just so want to thank Carl Garrison 
and for organizing and for uh, just for the vision of doing that and all of the work, all of the volunteers who came and, and helped with, with all of that. It is uh, a great testimony and just a, a wonderful thing that, um, that Carl has, has done. And it is a, a wonderful step along in the whole development of our Community of Hope uh, ministry. I hope that many of you will, will share in that. It's every single Saturday uh, here at the building. So it's something that you can, can uh, share in at any time. But this, of course, is a great time to, to do it at, at, at Christmas time. And, um, and so think about that and, and uh, come and share in that or other, other kinds of ministries all, all around the, um, the, the, the city. Um, we are, as we, it's amazing, we're already at the third week of Advent. That means that next week is the fourth week of Advent, which is, there are four weeks of Advent. Uh, we have yet one more added because the next Sunday is Christmas Day itself. And uh, so we will have, have uh, our worship service on, on Christmas and uh, share in that time of, of, of celebration as well as part, in, in part of all of this. Next, per, next week is going to be a special service, as Emily indicated, in which we're going to have a, an interweaving of our uh, worship service with uh, the pageant of Jesus' birth, with uh, our children participating in that, young people and children participating in that, and that's part of what, what's going on. Uh, there's also, in this whole process, besides the free store, there is the, the process of giving out to those that are uh, in need, those that are marginally um, housed and have all kinds of difficulties, uh, 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 bags of, of, of gifts that are being part of what the kids are doing right now is, is preparing those that we will give out over the next couple of weeks, especially on the, the Saturday just before, before Christmas. But uh, that's another ministry that many of you have already been participating in and buying uh, things that are needed for, for people and that are, that are part of that. So we're well into the midst of this, this whole uh, time. But of course, there's all kinds of things that get associated with um, Christmas. And part of what we always want to do is to go back to the reason there is for any of it, and that is thinking about this story and its whole reach. Its whole reach reaches down right to this moment and this place. And Mary Dell did such a wonderful job in our, in our communion meditation of focusing on where the story is going within the Gospels. The story of Jesus in that last feast that he has with his disciples and the arrest in the Garden of Gethsemane and all that happens in his crucifixion and then his resurrection. If those things had not happened, especially the resurrection of Jesus, we wouldn't celebrate Christmas. We wouldn't tell the story of any of these things. None of these things that we talk about in all of this celebration stand on their own. They are all part of the flow of, of what God did in Jesus that moves toward that great moment of Jesus' crucifixion and his resurrection. And then, all, then the giving of God's Holy Spirit to, to his people. And 
In all of those things, there is a connection that reaches back across the Gospels to the very beginning of the Gospels. Whether one's looking at it in the Gospel of Luke or the Gospel of John or as we are this morning in the Gospel of Matthew. Because in those earliest sections of the Gospels, the story begins and it moves toward that with the consciousness that every single one of the gospel writers has that it has moved well beyond just simply the time of Jesus himself on earth, the time of his ministry and his death and resurrection into the life of all of these gospel writers and all of the churches that they're part of, all the places that they've been as they've told the story of Jesus. When we started the gospel of Matthew, we have this great genealogy of Jesus. And it reaches all the way back to Abraham, and it's majestic, marching through the centuries, down from about 2000 B.C., though Matthew doesn't give that anything like that number. That, that, that's approximately the time of Abraham, down 2,000 years, down to the time of Jesus. And it's a wonderful genealogy, human, royal, but there's... With the exception of certain turning points like Abraham and Sarah, there's not really the idea of any sort of divine presence. It's a genealogy from father to son to son to son to son to son to son because it's always done through the, the male line in those days. So Matthew gives us Jesus' genealogy. But immediately following that in the text that we have in front of us for today, in Matthew 1, 18 through 23, it turns from that genealogy that marches through these ages to, a, to an event that is startling and, and hard to believe. Matthew knows it is. It's challenging. In fact, he focuses on that, that very fact and leads us into the process of understanding what was happening through all of those ages and where it was going and where it will go. The birth is incredible. Even though, as we were talking about in our class this morning up on the, on the fourth floor, there's almost no description, actually, of Jesus' birth. There's a part of a subordinate clause that actually tells about Jesus' birth in the Gospel of Matthew. But there are these things around it that lead into the process of the whole Gospel as it unfolds. So we read in this, you see, just after we've gotten to the end of it and after, uh, of the genealogy and after Matthew has told us that it has a certain kind of order to it. For Jesus, the anointed king, the Christ, that's the word, that's Christos translated, anointed king, the birth, and Matthew consciously uses the word Genesis, which is not the normal word for birth, but it links back, of course, to scripture. The Genesis, the origin, the birth, happened in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be pregnant from the Holy Spirit. Luke gives us a lot more about that. But in Matthew, he just sort of states it just like a, just a simple 
a simple fact. Hmm. And lays down the beginning of a number of challenging choices for the people that are involved in this story. Joseph comes up immediately following this, and Joseph, like all of us, know that women don't, or girls, whatever Mary's age was, don't normally have babies from the Holy Spirit. And so, do you go by what you already know? Or do you go by hmm, just being gullible? Or do you think in some other way about what's possible, about what God can make possible? And that's a challenge right down to, the, to this very day. What sort of world do you live in? Do they live in? Do we live in? Do we live in a world that's closed and has only certain physical possibilities that we can define? What really does God do and can God do? What is possible? Now, if you go in the Gospel of Luke and, and, uh, and read there, you find the emphasis is on Mary and on her faith that Gabriel comes to her and she believes that all of this will happen. Here in the Gospel of Matthew, in a sense, the emphasis is certainly on Mary, but also on Joseph. Can he believe this? And Joseph is just with us ordinary folks right from the, from the very beginning. He's a good person, as it says, her husband Joseph. Uh, since, by the way, when one's betrothed in ancient times, that was the marriage, even though the living together had not yet begun because it already involved the contract, the marriage contract and so forth. So he's called her husband. Her husband, Joseph, since he was upright and didn't wish to make her a public example, decided to end their betrothal privately. You could translate that phrase, end their betrothal, as divorce. Though that's kind of mixed messages for us uh, in, our, in our day because divorce means something different here. But here it's just ending that contracted betrothal. So he's ready. He knows what's possible. He lives like we do. What is, what can God do? And so with these very few words, Matthew encapsulates the disruption and the challenge of Jesus' birth. Joseph can withdraw from the situation. He can recognize <laughs> Not many people are going to believe this. And probably not very many did all through those years that would follow. These stories are told to us not because people thought they were wonderful at the time and everybody was celebrating them, but because of the end of that story, because of where it went and who Jesus turned out to be and all that happened to him, then these traditions are told. And they can be told just simply that she had, uh, was pregnant by the Holy Spirit. But for a long time, they had to deal with the, the challenge, <laughs> the challenge, the disruption that's there in those words, that she was pregnant from the Holy Spirit. 
And Joseph could withdraw out of his fear of all that this would mean for her, for him, for everything around them, their reputation and everything. But like Mary, as we read in the Gospel of Luke, he had to be open to having his own life marked in ways that he couldn't control. He has this dream of an angelic visitor, and he believes. But even so, believing a dream, how many people are really going to take that seriously? He believes, he acts. Hmm. The child is born. The child is born. And when the child comes, he doesn't even get to name his own son. He's already been named by the, by the angel who gives the child his name. And the name is common. It's a famous name from the Old Testament. It's the name, and I don't really know why it wasn't just carried over from the Old Testament in our English translations, but it hasn't been. In the Old Testament, it's the name Joshua. If you look up any passage with the name Joshua, the famous Joshua, the the one who worked with Moses and led the people into into the land of Canaan, and you look in the Greek uh, translation of it, that early, early translation, the name that's there is Jesus. It's exactly the same as Jesus. It's Joshua. That's his name. And it's a famous name, and it means, it meant back there in the time of Joshua, it means Yahweh saves. Yahweh saves. But as Matthew well knows and wants us to see, Jesus is going to take all of the meaning that that may have had with Joshua, leading the people into the land of Canaan, and he's going to fill it up with new meaning, deeper meaning, wider meaning, meaning that they, people could not have, have imagined. He's going to save his people from their sins. Hmm. He's going to deal with the brokenness of human life, the brokenness of humanity, the sin, the, the violence, the, the loss, the sickness, the pain, the suffering, the loneliness. He's going to, to deal with all of the deceit that can come up, the, the violence, the injustice that's in the next chapter going to be manifested by Herod, the, Herod the Great, as he's often called, as he slaughters the innocents in this story. He's going to deal with all of that, and that is now seen as the fullness of this name that Yahweh, God, God here in Jesus is the one who saves, who delivers, who brings forth it. And it's out of that deliverance to pick up on the theme of our morning here that peace can come. But along the way, before we get to that peace in whatever form it takes for us individually and communally, certainly the story in the gospel shows a lot of steps of dealing with clear conflict and struggle along the way. So we watch it as in Jesus, 
Joseph begins to be able to share in this because he accepts the commission that's given to him. He accepts the message. He believes it and he steps into that and he is not afraid to take Mary as his, as his wife. He shares in what God is doing and in that process he shares in God's salvation. But Matthew takes, wants to take us to a deeper point as well. He wants to take us into thinking about really what's happening in this infant that's being told to, uh, to, to Joseph and that is happening now in Mary. So he points us to Isaiah, the seventh chapter, and quotes from it, though without actually mentioning Isaiah, he, I believe he thinks that this is so well known that everybody will know exactly where this is from. They, of course, didn't have chapters and verses in those days. He just cites the prophet, and that's all, all that's necessary. But he points to Isaiah, the seventh chapter, and it's the 14th verse that he, that he quotes there. And, um, and it's a sign that God gives. And uh, it's a sign that God gives that is um, given through a maiden giving birth as the passage in, in, the, in Isaiah. That word virgin could be translated as well, maiden. It's not in Isaiah the idea that a woman is, or a young woman is going to be a virgin through her birth, all the way through, but in that passage in Isaiah, it's the idea that, um, that a girl who is a virgin is going to get pregnant and is going to have a child, and by the time time certain things have happened, certain events will have been fulfilled. It's a highly significant sign in, in the Old Testament scriptures, in the, in the book of Isaiah. It is, has all kinds of political consequences. I have on the front side of your sheet there, given, given the text of, uh, uh, of Isaiah, the seventh chapter, verses 10 through 16, and I've underlined some of the, the words that are echoed then in, in Matthew. It's the situation in, in which Isaiah, as the prophet of God, the prophet of Yahweh, the name, it's the name of God, he goes to the king of, of Judah. Remember, Israel has been divided into the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah, and they are hostile to each other. And the kingdom of Judah is joining together with Syria, to make an alliance and to attack Judah. And Ahaz, who's the king of Judah, is scared to death about this clash of kingdoms. Three kingdoms, two against one, are coming into this situation, this clash of, of kingdoms. And, and so he doesn't know what to do. Isaiah goes to encourage him, to encourage him that God is going to help the, uh, his people, Israel, in this particular instance. And it is for Ahaz, the king, a, a kind of test of faith, if I can say it that way, and maybe a little bit too modern, but uh, whether he actually believes that God can help him in an actual concrete situation. Not whether he goes to the temple and offers sacrifices. Probably does that. In fact, he loved to offer all kinds of sacrifices, and he offered a lot of sacrifices to Yahweh and to a lot of other gods as well. And in Second Kings, we're even told that in some situations, he was so devout that he uh, offered one of his sons as a burnt offering and to try to deal with the situation. 
That shows just how pious he was. <clears throat> Isaiah goes to him, and he says to, to Ahaz, God is going to help you. And there on the front side of your sheet, Yahweh spoke to King Ahaz through Isaiah, asked a sign of Yahweh. Notice how difficult it is for Ahaz to believe it. Ask a sign of Yahweh, your God. Let it be as deep as Sheol, as deep as the grave, as deep as death itself, or as high as, as heaven. But Ahaz said, I won't ask. And he tries to cast it in a pious turn that you're not supposed to put Yahweh to the test. And so he says, I won't ask. I won't put Yahweh to the test. Because he doesn't believe Yahweh will do anything anyway. And Isaiah said, Here then, house of David, that's a formal name for the king of Judah, my Lord himself will give you a sign. Look, the maiden will be pregnant and bear a son, and she'll call his name Emmanuel, Emmanuel, as we say it. He'll eat butter and honey, maybe curds and honey, but the curds usually got churned into butter. He'll eat butter and honey when he knows how to refuse bad things and choose the good. For before the child knows how to refuse the bad and choose the good, that land whose two kings you dread will be deserted. What world do you live in, Ahaz? Do you live in a, in a world in which this is possible? Do you live in a closed world where only military force will, will rule? What world do you live in? And for Ahaz, it was absolutely clear he lived in a world that was closed in which only the military force could bring anything about in this situation. So, hmm, he does not receive the, the sign. He does not want to hear about it. He doesn't want to do it. He, he instead decides to go to the great empire of Assyria. And he makes a, makes a deal with the Assyrians, and they send in some troops, and they run out the Assyrians, the, the, yeah, the Syrians, not the Assyrians, but the, he goes to the Assyrians, and they run out the Syrians and the, and the northern ten tribes, the, the, the tribe of Israel, the kingdom of Israel. And in order to do that, he sells out the temple in Jerusalem and sets up a temple to the Assyrian, I mean, a, an altar to the Assyrian gods there. My, the Lord himself will give you a sign. If you do this, then, that, then before this child grows up, I'm going to take care of it. These places will be deserted. And then the prophet goes on and talks about it and talks about how, how the sign played itself out in spite of Ahaz. And this name, Emmanuel, comes up twice more in chapter 8 of, of Isaiah as the whole thing comes about and finally leads to 
Assyria now has been drawn in by Ahaz, and Assyria attacks the northern kingdom, and it leads ultimately to the destruction of the northern kingdom and their exile and the loss of the northern ten tribes. And it leads to Assyria having power over the southern tribes, uh, the southern tribes of Judah as well. This sign could have been believed, and the clash of kingdoms might have had a very different outcome if they could have believed the idea of Emmanuel, of God is with us. Well, we're in a very different place. This is not the same thing when Jesus is born by any means. But as as Matthew is going to show us, this is a clash of of kingdoms that's happening. It's not a prediction in in, in Isaiah. He's not predicting that there will be a virgin that will conceive. But it's a sign that God gave then, and he hears the echo or the resonance between the two. These kingdoms clash. God acts, and the birth is a sign of what God is doing. Ahaz's faith fails, and he sells out. God challenges Joseph. God challenges Mary. God challenges the people. He's going to challenge them more and more and more as the story unfolds. Can that faith now be different? Can the clash of kingdoms be different as they come into this new new time? And so Matthew, as he quotes the passage of Scripture... He says, this whole event happened in order that what was said by the Lord through the prophet may be brought to fullness. You probably realize, as I've said many times before, that that's a little bit of a different translation from what you usually read in in most translations. Usually it will say that what was spoken through the prophet may be fulfilled. And that has the echo for us that it's predicted something and that was then fulfilled. And people were waiting for it to be fulfilled maybe. But rather, it is taking up an event that happened back then that had its own context and now saying something like that, something with some of the same issues and, and elements to it are, are here, especially the birth of a, of, a, of a child to a young woman. And here, God is acting, and things are going to happen. King, God's kingdom is breaking in and it stands against the kingdom of Herod and the kingdom of the Romans behind Herod and all of that. The kingdoms that we create around us in so many ways. Can faith now be different or do we all just step into Ahaz's shoes? And one of the ways that that Matthew emphasizes this is by taking that word, a Hebrew word, leaving it there, not not translating it at first, but giving giving it to us in the Hebrew. Emanu, which means with us, El, God, God with us. And he gives us the translation, or the translation for those people that he's writing to who, who all spoke Greek. And he wants us to think about Jesus filling that meaning. God had been with his people in so many ways. I mean, just over and over again as one goes through The Old Testament, you you see God being with his people, coming to take them out of Egypt, leading them through the desert, 
There's a famous passage, one of many that one could quote. I included just a brief form of it. In Deuteronomy, the 31st chapter and the 8th verse, it's on the back, the second side of your, your sheet there. Yahweh, his, Moses is encouraging Israel and Joshua. It says, Yahweh himself is the one who goes before you. Yahweh himself is with you. He will never leave you or forsake you. Don't be afraid. But the kind of fear that Ahaz had crept in and sapped that faith over and over again. Hebrews echoes it. I've included Hebrews 13, 5. Be content with what you have, for God has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. And we all know in different circumstances how hard it is to be content with what we have. On the basis of knowing that God is with us and will never leave us or forsake us. We can feel existentially in ourselves the challenge of really believing God's presence and knowing that God was with them. God, God is with that passage that um, Mary Dell quoted from, from Philippians, the fourth chapter. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say to you, rejoice. Let your gentleness, your your peaceableness, your reasonableness be known to all people. The Lord is right here. The Lord is present. The Lord is in in Greek. He's right here. He's near at hand. Let all of your desires through prayers and supplications with thanksgiving be made known to God. And the peace of God that is beyond your understanding, beyond any human understanding, will guard your heart and your mind. Oh, but it's so hard. It was hard for Joseph. It was hard for Mary. It's hard for people all down the line in the, in the gospel stories. It's a challenge to us today. The fear creeps and the anxiety creeps in. And we struggle. God with us. But the thing that I wanted to call attention to, or for us to think about, is just a very simple thing this morning. Is when we move from that Isaiah passage to the Matthew passage. One thing that strike, it strikes me that has changed, that's in, in the title of the message here, it's that one small change, is the change in the meaning of with. God with us. God had been there with Isaiah, with Ahaz, if they could know it. But now, in this little baby, in the man that he becomes, in what he does, what he teaches, that with takes on a whole different scope. It becomes God's incarnate presence, God's being with us, God's face with us. I've included there in, uh, at the beginning on the bottom of the front side of your sheet that famous passage that we even reflected on some last uh, two weeks ago. John chapter 1, verses 9 through 18. Especially notice beginning with verse 14. You can look at the whole passage, of course, and I hope you, hope you will. Now that word, that word that is God, that through whom everything that, that comes to be was created... 
The word that is the light that shines in the darkness and the darkness cannot overcome it. That word became flesh and set his tent among us. And we beheld his glory, a glory such as belongs to a father's one and only, full of grace and truth. Then at the top side, top of the second uh, side of your sheet, we all receive from, uh, from his fullness, grace on top of grace. This grace and truth came through Jesus, the anointed king. No one has seen God Ever. God was with them, but they had never seen him. But the one and only himself, God, who is in the heart of the Father, has made God known. Philip, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. And just think about all that's implied in that, in all of that, that Here, God is with us in this (laughs) this yet-to-be-born fetus, this child that will be born sometime later. It reaches back, back, back into God's desire, God's loving choice to create, to to plant something of himself in us. God chooses to interact with us on our terms. I, I do not know what kind of existence the God of the universe has beyond all the galaxies and all the things that exist in this vast universe or multiverse or whatever it is. But as he shows himself to us, And to us through history, he interacts with us on our terms in time and in history with all of its changes. He shares those with us so that here comes a moment in the life of God. God comes to be with us as one of us. He acts in his grace. He chooses not to act as the Greeks so often thought of God in his perfection and immutability that could not change in any way whatsoever. He acts in grace. He acts in love. He comes in flesh. He comes as a human. He comes as you, as me. He comes as us. And especially, of course, as we imagine the child, the baby, so vulnerable. And that's how the story unfolds, of course, in the Gospel of Matthew, the vulnerability of the way that God comes among among us. And yet so beautifully, God, these impossibles of the God of the universe beyond all our imagination and a little baby that every one of us can imagine come together. The creator of everything and the creature come together. And we see, we experience this reality of God with us. But the human side of just becoming a human being, sort of being like, you know, a lot of human beings that are inspired by the Spirit of God, like a prophet, like Isaiah, for example, is not enough. Teaching and morality, as important as they are and as big a role as they play, won't save. 
In this, in Jesus, we have God himself, God's own being, intervening in our existence. As God, what Jesus does for us trans, transforms who we are, what we are. It reshapes the world that we see. How it brings us to be truly children of God. And so Jesus not only comes to us to be God with us and to be a human like us, but also to truly bring God's own self to us, God's transforming reality of God's holiness and God's self-giving love and God's grace, <laughs> all of which, those particular three things, we may not wish to admit it, but they are basically foreign to most of our self-seeking. It brings these and sets them down in the middle of human self-focus and self-deception. On, on Sinai, in the throes of this history and all that happened in so many different ways through the course of that history, God appeared in thunder and fire and with trumpets and earthquakes, whatever was needed for the people at that time. But now only in Jesus can the face of God, the, the deep reality, that self-giving love of God, really be seen. That, that cannot be. That God is God, as I said, beyond our imagination. But he's here, right, with us. He dies. We celebrate his body broken for us, his blood poured out for us. Here there is this oneship of God played out in a way that in every way challenges our imagination, that complex oneness that reveals to us the complexity, the depth of who God is far beyond the imagination of the philosophers. It makes relationships with us possible, a relationship of trust and love God wants our own human maturity, and he lives that out among us. He wants our wholeness in all of these things. And so this challenge of understanding God becomes so much so deep within us. Jesus brings our ordinary life into God as he teaches and as he lives and as he does. He teaches about, in the Sermon on the Mount, about all kinds of just ordinary, everyday things, but always with a transforming edge to them about anger and truth-telling and desires and honesty and anxiety and the judgment of others and the way we let money and stuff rule our lives, being peacemakers, and on and on it goes. He points us to the narrow way of God's, of his self-giving love, of loving even enemies. And as Paul says, that though, that narrow way is not some narrow doctrinaire way, but it is the excellent way, <clears throat> the way of love. God risks to be with us. He comes among us. Jesus 
as we learn, is Lord. He is creator. He is judge. But he comes serving. But he isn't my servant. He is leading me into the graciousness of that forgiving, serving life. He loves. He transforms. He challenges. He changes us. He saves us. Well, but I'm not real sure I want to be saved. I want control of my life. I don't... Hmm. I don't want a Lord. And I have to see this astonishing baby on through the whole story till I am celebrating his body and blood and realize that it is not a control that wants to that wants to dominate me, but to give me life, to give us fullness, to give us maturity and wholeness that allows us truly to be for the first time in control of our lives. We have been enslaved to our own brokenness. He wants to be with us, God with us, not at a distance but right here in his Holy Spirit, in us, leading us into the adventure and into our true identity. Now, is all of that in God with us? Oh, absolutely, and so much more. So much more. Just look at that baby, the vulnerableness, the weakness, the cuteness, the sufferings that are going to unfold out in that life, the way his mother is going to have a sword pierced through her heart, so many things. Oh, look at that baby. God with us into our own identity, our own reality, into the adventure of that life that he creates for us. Amen. Amen. Let's bow together momentarily in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for allowing us to meditate on these things that we are only on the edge of understanding all our lives. Allow us to take the challenge in, to realize that this world that you created is a world that has this possibility in it, not just this possibility, but this reality in it that your self-giving love comes out of your absolute greatness 
into our mess to be with us and to lead us beyond all of these things that we allow, allow to enslave us into fullness and maturity and wholeness. We pray, Heavenly Father, that we can reach out like Joseph did in faith, like Mary did in faith, and trust that you truly are there, that as we look into Jesus, we may see your face. In his name we pray. Amen. 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 Would you stand as we share in a word of benediction? Now that word became flesh and set his tent among us. And we beheld his glory. Glory such as belongs to the Father's one and only full of grace and truth. May you live in that grace and truth and peace that flows from him in his name. Go forth to serve. Amen. Amen.